This is Guns and Butter. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, speakers from the Emergency Truth Convergence Defeat Lethal Deceit rally in Washington, D.C. I was in attendance and am pleased to bring you highlights from these events. The 9-11 Truth Convergence rally took place in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House on Saturday, July 23, 2005, and was part of a larger three-day event that brought together activists, authors, researchers, whistleblowers, alternative media, and others to expose and counter the government's most lethal lies and mainstream media complicity. The three-day truth convergence was staged on the anniversaries of two current icons of official deceit. The first anniversary of the Kane-Zelikow 9-11 Commission report and the third anniversary of the Downing Street Memo. Speakers from a wide variety of organizations and political points of view gathered in Lafayette Park to develop a cross-movement strategy to overwhelm mainstream gatekeepers. Les Jameson of New York 9-11 Truth is MC. We have a true hero, David Ray Griffin. Dr. David Ray Griffin is with us. He's been here since yesterday, participated in events at the National Press Club. He attended the hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill, sponsored by Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney. It's a one-year anniversary of the 9-11 omission commission report. I'd like to introduce a man that really needs no introduction. Please welcome Dr. David Ray Griffin. Good morning, truth seekers. We are living in an unprecedented time in human history. For the first time in the history of the world, one species, our own, has the power to bring our own species and much of the life of the planet to an end within our present century. And if the present trajectory continues, that is almost inevitable before the end of the century. We also live in an unprecedented time. We have had many, many empires in history. To a great extent, the history of civilization has been the history of empires. And yet, for the first time, we are on the verge of a truly global empire, an empire with no borders. Our own country is involved in what Richard Falk and others call the Global Domination Project. And yet, from watching the mainstream media, you would never guess that these catastrophic events were going on. Like the Roman citizens during the Roman Empire, we are entertained and distracted with bread and circuses. And with all these things going on, the media doesn't discuss any of them. I'm a Christian theologian, so what I am particularly upset about is they're claiming to do this empire and this destruction of the world in the name of God. Now, there are many ways to know this is not true. 
Molly Ivins has a good test. She says George W. claims that God is speaking through him. She says, I'm pretty sure that's not true because I'm pretty sure God knows how to pronounce nuclear. But as a theologian, I have another test. As a theologian, I deal with the relation between the divine and the demonic. And if you look at the Abrahamic traditions or you look at any of the major traditions in the world, there is a large agreement that that which we call holy, that which we call divine, is that which embodies truth, justice, compassion. So if there is such a thing as the demonic, it would be that which is diametrically opposed to that and has power to threaten its very purposes. And so the demonic would be that which embodies the big lie, that which embodies injustice based on greed, and that which is, instead of having love and compassion, has total indifference to the welfare of those that they're inflicting their dominance on. The major media now have chosen to be the mouthpiece and the camouflage for this system that can only be called demonic. The groups here, what we have in common is the fact that the mainstream media simply will not deal with our issues. Now they will say, well, these are just allegations. These are unproved things. But whenever the White House says something that is unproved, just an allegation, you hear about it on the evening news. No, you hear about it within an hour. Unproven allegations that more often than not turn out to be false. So it's not because the allegations are unproved that they don't report them. It's because their corporate owners do not let them report them. The most dramatic recent evidence of this, of course, was the appearance of the first of the Downing Street memos. Because many people said, aha, here is the smoking gun. This is absolute proof about what people have been debating for over a year now. Did we cook the intelligence? So surely this is going to be a four-inch headline that's going to dominate the news for weeks. What we got was absolute silence until people like Ray McGovern, who's here today, and others started forcing the issue into the public consciousness. And so we, as these unrepresented groups, need to forge some kind of alliance where we can get some way to publicize these issues to an even greater percentage of the people so that when voting time comes, we have a chance to make a difference, but of course one of the issues is we've got to make sure that our votes are really counted rather than camouflaged by voting machines. Now of all the issues that are represented here, I happen to be very interested in all of them. I am publicly identified with the issue of 9-11 and I will continue to focus on it, not because just in itself it's the most horrible thing that's ever happened. I mean, when we look at the things that have happened in human history, as far as what happened on that day, we lost 3,000 people and a few buildings. 
compared with lying to go to war in Iraq, it's a fairly small thing in itself. Compared with using depleted, so-called depleted uranium to poison Afghanistan and Iraq and then the rest of the planet, that is a huge thing that needs to be stopped. But I focused on 9-11 for two reasons. It has been the pretext for all these other things. The victims of 9-11 are not limited to the 3,000 people killed that day and their family members. The victims of 9-11 include the tens of thousands of people killed in Afghanistan, the hundred-some thousand probably now killed in Iraq, all the victims of DU who are already victims and will be victims for decades to come, these are all victims of 9-11. And then there's another reason why I focus on 9-11. The American people have proved to be amazingly tolerant. <laughs> they have not gotten terribly upset about the fact that they were deliberately lied to to go to war in Iraq. They are tolerant of a number of other horrible things that they have learned about. There is one thing they will not tolerate. If the truth about 9-11 is revealed, that will bring this administration down. And more than that, it will reveal the values on which this American global domination project is built. So that is why I focus on this issue. And so I hope coming out of today will be a true convergence of the various organizations here and we can see that finally it's all one big issue and we're all just various parts of it. Well, thank you very much for coming out today. I not only got the privilege of uh, speaking, but I also get the privilege of introducing one of my heroes, Peter Dale Scott. Peter is a former Canadian diplomat and professor of English. He is probably best known for his book, Deep Politics and the Death of JFK, but he has two other very well-known books, Cocaine Politics, Drugs, Oil, and War. And so now I'm very pleased to give you that person, Peter Dale Scott. Hello, everybody. It's an honor to be here. I came to Washington primarily to be part of Congresswoman McKinney's briefing yesterday on, actually on Capitol Hill in the Cannon Building. And we had 10 sets of cameras there yesterday, including C-SPAN. This was much more than I imagined when I agreed to come because, you know, I've been, I've been around for a while and I've seen how movements begin. They begin with very small meetings like this one. And in the case of Vietnam, I went, I went to UC in 1961, the University of California, and I'm proud to say after I got there, all hell broke out. And it wasn't because of me, but uh, I was there to see it happen. And I took part in, I think, what was probably one of the first anti-Vietnam War marches in 1962. We had far fewer people than are here today. And six years later, in Golden Gate Fields, there were 300,000. That's the way things grow. America is a, is a human creature. It's asleep some of the time, and then it wakes up 
some of the time and it's awake for a while and then alas it goes back to sleep. But America's waking up again. I could see it with the number of cameras, the fact that eventually what happened yesterday will be on C-SPAN and maybe what happens this afternoon at American University will be on C-SPAN. That breaking through into the media is very important and of course very difficult nowadays when the media are so controlled by so few people who have such vested interests in the whole system that makes money out of war, that makes money out of killing people, which we have to stop. And though the reason I'm bringing up Vietnam is not just that we won in the sense that we got America to get out of Vietnam, but that the anti-war movement was proven right in a very profound sense because the people in Washington were saying, oh, if we don't hang in there in Vietnam, if we pull out, the dominoes will fall and the whole of Southeast Asia will become communist and China will rule from Beijing down to Singapore. Well, in the end, we did pull out and the dominoes fell the other way. As soon as America left, the region became pro-American. And I now live sometimes every year in Thailand. And Thailand is a case where America went in, put in many, many, many troops, started counterinsurgency, started arresting people, killing people. And America invented a revolutionary movement in Thailand. And pretty soon you had a bona fide revolutionary movement because they wanted America to leave. Well, America did leave and the revolutionaries came out of the hills, became part of the regular society. You now have a democracy in Thailand. It's not perfect, but compared to its neighbors in Burma or Cambodia, it's a pretty good working democracy. And the key to the fact that there is no more revolutionary movement there is because America left Vietnam. And now we're hearing the same thing about Iraq. Yes, it was a mistake to go in, we're killing people, but it's terrible if we leave because then the whole country will be in the hands of the extremists and so on. And I say, no, it's the exact reverse. If you want to see peace in that area, if you want to see healthy politics in that area, it's not going to be our politics, but these are human beings, just like the people in Thailand were human beings. If you invade their country, they will fight you. If you leave their country, they will stop fighting you. Maybe not 100%, but it's becoming a mass movement now in Iraq that's opposing us. And if you want to stop that kind of anti-Americanism, if you want to stop terrorism, there are many, many voices in the Muslim world that say the answer to terrorism isn't war, the answer to terrorism is justice. Stop the injustice. Work for justice. If America could use its energy to do something to reduce the suffering in the Israel-Palestine conflict, it would reduce terrorism. If we could do something, there are other crises. If we could do something to solve the suffering in Kashmir, it would reduce terrorism. If we could add our energy to reduce the terrible situation in Chechnya, that's the answer to terrorism. And if you go the other route and you say we're going to be for war now forever and our president is going to become the commander in chief and you're not allowed to criticize him, 
we are going to lose democracy in this country. I'm not a pessimist about the world. I believe in a kind of globalization. I don't believe in top-down globalization, which is what we're getting now. The answer to it is bottom-up globalization. People meet people. We all meet and get to know Muslims. Some of us go to Iraq or to other parts of the Middle East. That is what will bring peace to the world. And the first step is a movement like this one, convergence of different groups coming together. If America learns the truth about what happened on 9-11, they will want different leadership. And America has got enough resources to give them whoever it is, he will be a better president than the one we have now. Thank you very much. You're listening to speakers at the D.C. Truth Convergence Rally in Lafayette Park on July 23, 2005. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Part of this Truth Convergence is connecting the very much related issues that have to do with the political reality we live in today. And with that, our next speaker will lead us in a new direction. Reverend former United States Air Force Captain Dorothy McKee, Executive Director of Survivors Take Action Against Abuse by Military Personnel, is a multiple rape survivor of the military whose assailants got immunity under national security laws in 1998 and 2000. Would you please welcome Dorothy Mackey. Good afternoon, and thank you for inviting me. I'm very honored to be here. Please take a deep breath with me because you see I'm at peace with what has transpired in my journey. I've come to peace because I know that only through peace and my love of humanity can we honestly find truth and truth that will matter. Briefly I want to tell you about two of the items I've put up front. The small item here to my right is one of my clients of 4,700 people. She was two years old as her military Air Force father raped her and then turned her out to be raped by a bunch of his friends. The Air Force refused to do anything about it, and he recently retired in which he can now move freely through the American community. To the right is my oldest client, who is 70 years old now. She was a 20-year-old in the Army back in World War II area. She was raped by a man who stabbed her and hit her in the head with a rock. And as the military police discovered her being raped, they asked her rapist to take her to the medical hospital where the doctors began paperwork to throw her out as if she was crazy. This is happening throughout our military today, not just to women, but to our men, to children, and global communities. My case in brief is one of thousands and tens of thousands of cases around the world. I was multiply raped. I took my last two assailants to the courts to civilly sue them because I didn't want taxpayers paying for their deeds. The Justice Department refused to help me three times, our prosecutors, and instead, when I finally got into our court system, the Justice Department represented my assailants against me in a federal court, your tax dollars. From there, we went to the Supreme Court where I learned of five laws from the Justice Department, five laws of immunity which gave my assailants immunity and all assailants in the military immunity if they rape, maim, or murder their own or others nationally and internationally. 
These laws are the Bivens Doctrine, the Ferris Doctrine, Intramilitary Immunity, Title VII, and U.S. Code 552A. I also learned of five other American military women who had been raped, brutalized, murdered, and stalked, in which their cases had gone before me and no one had done anything. In 1983, the United States Army wrote a decision saying that rape was as if, and please don't quote me on this, but it was as if you were picking up your boots and your other military gear. It was typical to the military system. So rape is part of the military system. Then I discovered what's known as the McDowell Checklist. The United States Pentagon knowingly and purposely put together questions asked of rape victims in the military that would legitimately throw out legitimate rape victims' questions. Charles P. McDowell works for the Pentagon, and they are allowing not only rapes to happen under national policy, but the honing of rapists throughout our country. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, Abu Ghraib is not an anomaly. It is standard operating procedure for the military. The reason being is that United States will not sign making rape a wrongdoing, a human rights crime. We also will not sign the International Criminal Courts Treaty, which will hold us accountable in the international situations. We don't do the protection of women or the protection of children treaties. And this is to undermine world powers so that they cannot rise in their own right and stand on their own two feet as global people. The reality of this, sadly, is that this is happening all over the world. And I'm going to give you one example in which, on a day-to-day -day basis, former military assailants are standing in and helping to form the wrong ideas of America. Many of you might know that Pat Roberts of the 700 Club is a former United States Marine Corps member. On his website, it says, if you were abused, and this is speaking of children, sexual abuse is a traumatic experience, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You may feel guilty because you consented to incest or allowed yourself to be molested. Nevertheless, God will forgive you. How is this impacting America? It is impacting because, quite honestly, Many of these rapists and assailants have come out of the United States military and into our communities. Some of their names you may recognize. Jeffrey Dahmer, Berkowitz, DeSalvo, Yates, Francois out of New York. You have Ridgway out of California who's killed 48 women. You have Charles Ng, a Marine Corps member out of Washington who entirely devastated families, killing even infants. Or how about children? of military, those who've been abused in the system. Ted Bundy, known to have killed approximately 200 women across this country before he was executed in Florida. John Wayne Gacy, who killed numerous young men and boys. Or Eric Harrison, the Columbine shooter. These are not anomalies, ladies and gentlemen. These are impacts, and the impacts are global, they are strong, they are real. I am here as a minister, as a voice of truth, as a person who loves humanity and who believes that we can do better by speaking the truth. It is important what this organization represents in the fact that we are coming together in a divine place, in a place that means something about truth and raising ourselves up. Do not be discouraged with what we hear today. 
It can bring us down in our souls, but the reality of it is, is that we are standing up and in it, so too do our souls. As we come together as a unified group, let us speak the truth knowing and understanding we must always first come from a place of peace internally to ourselves. And then reaching out for humanity and love, we can make this happen. Thank you very much. I appreciate your support. Bless you. And let us bless all nations equally. Dorothy Mackey. Thank you so much, Dorothy. Progress is not going to happen without courage. We just saw an example, a beautiful example of that courage. Next, we'd like to have a speaker who is the executive director of the Trap Rock Peace Center in Deerfield, Massachusetts. Trap Rock has been known for great initiatives on peace, nuclear disarmament, and in the past few years has done incredible work with UN Inspector Scott Ritter. Please welcome Sonny Miller. Thank you. I'm just honored to follow Dorothy. What courage, indeed. Today I'd like to talk about the alliances that are going to take us through this abyss together. As um, mentioned, we've worked with Scott Ritter, Major Doug Rocky, DOD defense nurse Denise Nichols, Gerard Matthew. These wonderful veterans are bringing truth to the American people, and pacifists and soldiers are joining together to make a bridge across a tremendous abyss of lies. On each side of this abyss, we have slippery and rocky slopes, all kinds of dangerous slopes. On the one hand, on the part of government, we are seeing deliberate lies and deception. On the side of the public, we see the hazards of a terrible sort of convenience of denial, a wish that things really aren't that bad, a desire, as Scott Ritter would say, to stay in our cocoons of comfort as consumers rather than take on the challenges of citizenship. But we are here to do that together. Let me talk about veteran Gerard Matthew, for example. He, in his private life, is an occupational therapist, helping people overcome hardships and disabilities. And so he's particularly attuned to physical hardships. And when he was assigned to drive trucks in southern Iraq, he began to notice swelling of his face, headaches. He thought maybe this is attributable to dehydration. But the headaches progressed until when he was medevaced to Germany, he was experiencing four to five headaches a day. Now these weren't ordinary headaches. These he described as someone pounding a nail through your head. He didn't know the cause. He was seeing triple. He was blacking out. He progressed to have bladder dysfunction, loss of bladder control, sexual dysfunction. And the medical response has been to issue drugs. Now, I would hold that our military system is addicted to drugs, and the drugs our military, and indeed the rest of us as citizens who are taxpayers, right now we are suffering the symptoms of an addiction to the most lethal and nasty weapons that can be built. And depleted uranium is one of those very dangerous and nasty weapons. I propose to you that as we turn our attention to giving up our addiction to world domination, complete control of Earth through weapons in space, and the nastiest weapons on Earth that can possibly be stockpiled, 10,000 nuclear weapons, and depleted uranium in the ammunition of the Army, 
the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines, as we give up this addiction, we are going to find that we retreat to the posture that is proper of defense, not offense. And so if we look at individual cases, we're seeing the very personal results that must lead us to the only logical conclusion. We have to give up the addiction. It's too painful. Gerard Matthew and his wife Janice discovered in March 2004 that their daughter Victoria was to be born missing most of her right hand. The effects of depleted uranium have been studied by the likes of Alexandra Miller for the Armed Forces Radiobiology Research Institute. She finds that the combined effects of toxicity, uranium, a heavy metal like lead, 1.7 times as dense as lead, I believe, the combined toxicity and the radioactive effect of depleted uranium causes eight times more chromosomal damage than predicted. This comes from government research. At the same time, government representatives, seemingly bent on manipulation and delusion, will say things like, it's not of concern. You'd have to swallow enough to choke on it for depleted uranium to be harmful. Clearly a tremendous and terrible lie. Other people in the military present different Conclusions, Colonel J. Edward Wakayama, whose document and presentation can be seen on our website, traprockpeace.org, says, for example, that radiation health effects include lung cancer and affect the thoracic lymph nodes. He cites the worst case scenario of probability of lung cancer to be about one in 15. Now, we know that the effects of lung cancer are not begun to be seen for quite some time. And yet, the veterans coming back from RELAC will, especially the reservists coming back, can expect for their benefits for health problems to expire after two years. The Army is not giving the proper test to find depleted uranium in the urine. Please tell your friends coming back from Iraq, the young people whose health might be devastated, that they can collect a urine sample, a 24-hour urine sample in bottles rinsed with deionized water. The uranium is not going away. It lasts for 45 billion years, but the Earth won't last that long. The Earth is expected to last only 4.5 billion years, a tenth of the radioactive life of depleted uranium. So please tell them, collect their urine, save it. The Army is losing the urine samples. They might want to collect more than one sample and preserve that. We also understand that citrus helps to pass uranium through the kidneys. Everywhere, soldiers, activists, pacifists, ordinary citizens are beginning to take up the cause of truth, bringing resources like videotapes. Here's one from Germany, the doctor, the depleted uranium, and the dying children. Books by wonderful reporters who've compiled their research showing the tragedy, the long, tragedy of nuclear weapons and their effects, and allies from all countries, Japan, many other countries, Australia, we're so delighted to meet and talk to the wonderful people who are willing to accept the truth and move forward. However far we have to climb up rocky slopes, slippery slopes, we'll get there together on a bridge of truth, overcoming this abyss of lies. Thank you very much.
You're listening to speakers at the D.C. Truth Convergence Rally in Lafayette Park on July 23, 2005. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Sonny Miller, the depleted uranium issue, of course, is connected to what we're all here for, which is the lies, deception, exploitation, and all related topics. Therefore, we're very glad to have the depleted uranium and all other ancillary issues to 9-11 be here. This is part of the convergence. There are a lot of people in, in this audience are what I call street action people. How about a, a hello from you guys? People doing the street actions. You got it. You got it. At Ground Zero, Ground Zero in New York, there's been a, a crew from street action people for about two years now. And one thing I know is that people who are uninformed about the issues of 9-11 have this one question, usually, and you'll probably relate to this. How could our government be responsible for the deaths of 3,000 of our own citizens? And here's an answer that always comes to mind and always gets a response, which is, we were told, wait a minute, 300 or four, 500,000 people who live and work in downtown Manhattan were told that the air was safe to breathe in the aftermath. Well, we found that that was not true. And our next speaker has done an immense amount of research and activism on this issue, as well as the press reaction to the issues of the toxic fallout. So please welcome Jenna Orkin. Thank you. As you know, and I apologize for those of you who've heard me say this 25 times, 9-11 was not only an event that changed history in the way we live. It was also an environmental disaster of historic proportions. The World Trade Center was a city with its own zip code. When it fell, hundreds of tons of asbestos were pulverized and could be inhaled, and they were taken by the plume miles beyond ground zero. In the World Trade Center were over 50,000 computers, they each made with over four pounds of lead. You had tens of thousands of fluorescent light bulbs, each of which had enough mercury to contaminate a quarter of a city block. Smoke detectors with radioactive americium-241. A month after the disaster, they found very ultrafine particles that were the highest of any found around the world, including at the burning Kuwaiti oil fields. The air had the alkalinity of drain cleaner, and yet the EPA said early on, good news, the air is safe to breathe. Now, we know several things. We know that not only were they mistaken, we know they were lying. A memo showed that. We also know that the White House Council on Environmental Quality changed at least one of their press releases. Now, why was the White House so keen to get people back into Lower Manhattan? Well, the Inspector General's report issued in August of 2003 said one of the reasons was that there was a keenness to reopen Wall Street. So what happened? The EPA got away with its falsehoods. They used the wrong equipment. They used 20-year-old equipment to test for asbestos. EPA scientist Dr. Kate Jenkins has said that for every fiber that EPA found of asbestos, independent contractors found nine. The risk of death from asbestos alone could be as high as one person in ten. That's not taking into account the hundreds of other contaminants and their synergistic effects, which means how they work together. Very little is known about synergy, but we do know about the synergy of asbestos and smoking, and we know that it's not just twice as bad as doing one or the other, you know, smoking and being an asbestos worker. It's 80 or 90 times as bad. 
EPA Region 8 out west offered Region 2 in New York up-to-date equipment. Region 2 said, we don't want you fucking cowboys here. Also, as a result of all this, my son's high school, Stuyvesant, reopened on October 9th, and it was four blocks north of the World Trade Center. Not only did they have the site to the south, but they also had the barge operation where all the toxic debris was brought on their north doorstep. At Stuyvesant High School, because of the placement of the toxic debris operation, particulate matter 2.5 was often higher than at ground zero. Students frequently became ill with chronic sinusitis, bronchitis, and other illnesses that are not respiratory, like one girl who's had to have two spinal taps. A student who swam in the school pool, which had not been cleaned, had to go to the emergency ward with an asthma attack. She hadn't had asthma in seven years. The 9-11 Commission report deals with the environmental effects of the disaster in a footnote in which they refer to an interview with Sam Thernstrom, coordinator of the White House Council on Environmental Quality. He denies changing press releases in order to reopen Wall Street. He says the changes were just procedural. And his story, strangely enough, is backed up by Christy Todd Whitman, who told the initial lies. And I must confess that I am a litigant against Christy Todd Whitman. Among others, it's going to be a class action suit. Three and a half years later, we're beginning to see the results of these disastrous policies of the White House. Over half of the heroes who toiled at Ground Zero now have debilitating respiratory symptoms, and we see analogous symptoms among residents. And by the way, $125 million, which was offered to the Ground Zero workers, was later rescinded by the White House. Now, we hope that won't be permanent. You know, there are people working on this issue, but the White House wants to take that money back. And the FAIR Act on asbestos does not cover ground zero workers. There is a good bill for the residents in the community, which is the congressperson's Shays Maloney bill. That needs to be endorsed. Not only do we have the residents in the community getting ill, but as a dreadful portent of what may be in store for the community, 15 rescue dogs have died. And it's not over. Many more buildings, such as the former Deutsche Bank building in Lower Manhattan, which was found to have 150,000 times the normal level of asbestos, now face demolition. The community may be exposed all over again to building after building. How did the press handle all these events? They joined in the general all-American can-do spirit of getting back on the horse, and that meant going into Lower Manhattan. The reopening of Stuyvesant was a terrific photo op of intrepid high schoolers boldly going where no man should have gone. Hearings were held on the state and local levels, ostensibly to get at the truth of what was happening. But the way the hearings were organized ensured that that would not happen. In the morning, the government agencies told the elected officials about the terrific job they were doing, how fast they were removing all those toxic tons of steel. And then at noon, the press left to edit their reports in the afternoon. That was interesting. Independent scientists such as Paul Bartlett and Dr. Marjorie Clark testified about what was really going on. Expert witnesses such as Joel Kupferman of the New York Environmental Law and Justice Project, the NICOSH organization, revealed the alarming results of what they had found. Joel Kupferman had done his own FOIA requests. And we, the unwashed masses, testified about how everybody was getting sick. But without the press there, this testimony fell like a tree in the forest when no one's there. It may have made a sound, but so what? Thank you, Jenna. Our next speaker 
is a CIA analyst of 27 years who's worked to reveal the truth about our government's foreign and military policy. And he's worked also diligently to organize and defend a growing community of conscientious whistleblowers. Ray McGovern was one of the foremost personalities in the recent hearings that was held on the Hill by John Conyers. Ray McGovern is co-founder of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, which is a team of 35 intelligence professionals, both retired and currently active, working for truth in America. Thank you very much. Here's Ray McGovern. I would like to dedicate my remarks to Mike Donnelly, major U.S. Air Force deceased. Mike flew about 35 flights in Gulf War I through the terrible toxic cocktail of chemicals, came back with Lou Gehrig's disease, which was much more prevalent among Gulf War veterans than among the populace at large. I visited Mike three months ago in Connecticut. He had been in a wheelchair for several years. The only thing he could move was his eyes, and the only way he could communicate was through his wife, who had a sign language type thing worked with him. Mike died two weeks ago, and I would like to speak in his memory. We've heard about the uh, Downing Street Minutes. They, of course, recorded a meeting at the highest level of 10 Downing Street, the British government, on July 23, 2002. 20 days earlier, July 3, 2002, Colin Powell told the Danish foreign minister that the president of the United States is determined to remove Saddam Hussein by force. They were preparing the Danes, who have always been a very close ally of the United States, for their position as head of the European community and also to argue our case that they should join us in uh, providing forces for the war. The Danes' motivation in this is a little obscure to me. They are a close ally. I suppose they felt like the British. They had to go along. Maybe they believed us. Also, they have the largest shipping business in the world, and I'm sure that the lucrative proceeds from delivering all those material to uh, Iraq and environs uh, helped. Now, a Danish army major by the name of Frank Graviel decided to blow the whistle on this. He was with us last fall. And he now faces a jail sentence of, uh, I think it's six months. He is appealing, but uh, what he said was that this war was based on a bunch of lies and that Danish intelligence itself had poured cold water on the intelligence fixed by the British and the United States. Catherine Gunn, another British patriot who worked for the equivalent of the National Security Agency, went public with some of the lies before the war and she was tried after her patriotic disclosure of classified information. Elizabeth Wilmshurst, she was the deputy counselor, the deputy attorney in the Foreign Office in Britain, and she was convinced that the war was illegal and that it was, in her words, a war of aggression. And when her superiors decided to bless this war, she did the honorable thing, she quit. Now, when Catherine Gunn was brought up on charges, she argued that this was an illegal war. She got off scot-free because the Blair government was unwilling to release the Attorney General's opinions because they went back and forth. He initially said that it was illegal and finally, under the impact of a phalanx of attorneys from the Executive Office building, he was persuaded to say, okay, maybe it's legal. Andrew Wilkie worked for the Australian equivalent of the CIA, the Office of National Assessments. He was so fed up by the deceit that he quit nine days before the war, immediately went public, 
and comes out smelling like a rose, as we would say in the Bronx. Three Foreign Service officers in our government couldn't abide the deceit, and they quit before the war. None of them knew each other. They are Brady Kiesling, Ann Wright, and John H. Brown. Now, I think we want to do this applause here, but I think we need to include the very, very courageous soul who put him or herself in jeopardy. Actually, there are more than one, which is very encouraging. Downing Street papers have been released by more than one source, and these people are real patriots. And without these people taking the risk of automatic two years in jail under British law, we would not know in documentary form about the deceits. And so I suggest we give them all a big hand right now, all of them. You're listening to speakers at the D.C. Truth Convergence Rally in Lafayette Park on July 23, 2005. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, what about closer to home? Well, we have this cloud of witnesses that I have just mentioned. What do we have closer to home? Where are the 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue minutes? Where are the hundreds of people within our intelligence community who know about the lies and have not had the guts to come forward, not had the, the sanity to realize that when people lie about war and peace, this exceeds any regulation that says you're not supposed to talk about a paper that might have a classification on it. And so I find these people notably absent, and I would ask for a minute of silence for them. Those of you who, like me, are the praying type, maybe we can ask the spirit to waft down here and enlighten their minds into their real patriotic duty to go public with what they know. Let's take about 30 seconds just to be silent in memory of the people who should speak out but are silent. Now, we're supposed to talk a little bit about the press here, and so I would like to just to read a little bit of, of an interview of Condoleezza Rice, one of my heroes, being interviewed by uh, Chris Matthews, 613, so just a month ago. Chris Matthews asked her about whether she recalled any of the meetings with the British officials, which are recorded in these British papers, and she said, um, I don't remember. Then he said, well, you know, they said in this memo that the intelligence and the facts were being fixed around the policy, what do you make of that word fixed? And Condoleezza Rice said, well, I don't know. And Matthew says, well, could it be fixed, like fix the World Series? And she said, oh, right. And she wasn't getting the cue. And so Matthews decided to help her out. And he says, uh, there's a British sense of the word fixed, and it means just putting things together. And she said, putting things together. Now. Folks, there's nobody on either side of the Atlantic Ocean that doesn't know what fixed means, all right? Fixed means fixed, and that's what was happening here. And so we have to get below this rhetoric that we hear every day. Lastly, what am I wearing here? I'm wearing a shirt that says Arlington West, okay? This is what they do on Santa Monica Beach every Sunday. They unpack at 7 o'clock in the morning 1,700 85, whatever it is today, white crosses and stars of David, Islamic scimitars or whatever, and they very carefully mark out the Arlington Seminary we have here with whatever number represent how many people have fallen in the war in Iraq. 
They do that on the beach so everyone can see it. It's done very respectfully. The Marines from Pendleton come up and they look at this. Everyone kind of looks at it and gets educated about the war. That's what we can do. There should be an Arlington South. There should be an Arlington North. There should be an Arlington wherever you live. And so this is an example of something you might be able to encourage, you might be able to do. Thanks very much. About a month ago, it hit the internet like wildfire that a former Bush official by the name of Morgan Reynolds had published his statements regarding his views of 9-11 and his refutation of the official story very powerfully and very much in detail. Morgan Reynolds now is PhD of Economics, Professor Emeritus at Texas A&M University. He's a former director of Criminal Justice Center at the National Center for Policy Analysis. He also was chief economist under the U.S. Department of Labor from the year 2001 to 2002. Please welcome Mr. Morgan Reynolds. Thank you very much. I'm honored to address you this afternoon. It really, it takes me back a little bit to my origins in the 60s at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. I see some uh, aging uh, left radicals here, and uh, guess what? I feel at home, even though I'm uh, an aging right-wing intellectual. But what does right and left matter when the truth of 9-11 is at stake? I was a political appointee in uh, George W. Bush's first term, and you say, well, how could that be? Well, there's lots that go into any human action, and one was I had just lost my wife. I was at loose ends. My previous career didn't mean that much. This offer came along, and I'm an adventurer, and I said, wouldn't this be fun to see government from the inside? Well. One week after I started on the job, the gates of hell opened up, September 11th. And why did I go? I want to revisit this. I'm a very history-minded person. And let me kick this, the content off by referring to the election campaign of 2000 when George W. Bush made two promises. First, he would restore, quote, honor and integrity to the Oval Office, unquote. Two, he would enact, quote, a more humble foreign policy, unquote. Five years later, what do we have? Lies, mass murder, and the most aggressive foreign policy, I guess, since Attila the Hun. I wouldn't trace it back further than him. Now, liars, chronic liars, big-time liars, don't have integrity. And... Let me borrow from the vast sweep of human experience. I go back to Ovid, the Roman poet, who coined the phrase, a pious fraud. Now, does that fit anybody right in the neighborhood? A pious fraud. Well, Ovid was banished to the Black Sea by his patron, Augustus, who was the first Roman emperor. And the parallels start to build. The Roman Republic, the form of the Republic was sustained, but he was an emperor. And we had the Roman Empire, and he was declared Imperator Caesar Augustus. And even the month of August was named after Augustus. So, I ask you, should the United States Congress impeach, convict, and punish Mr. Bush and Cheney and company 
for their manifest crimes, or should we declare, let's say, the month of February, Bushes, so we can remember Bushes indefinitely? Now, there is a legal maxim that says fraud vitiates everything. Does that seem to fit the case extent? And then I want to uh, hark back to a few minutes ago when Dr. David Ray Griffin invoked the divine versus the demonic. I want to build on that thesis here and go back to the 16th century and quote Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, the devil has two occupations to which he implies himself incessantly and which are the foundation stones of his kingdom, lying and murder. Lying and murder, the foundation stones of the demonic. That's what we have here. Now, what did George W. Bush say about the year 2000 on December 21, 2001? I quote, but all in all, it's been a fabulous year for Laura and me, unquote. 2001, that's a real fabulous year for you. Now, to give George W. Bush some credit, you might find some grains of truth in the following. He said, and I quote, we must speak the truth about terror. That's what we're here for. Speak the truth about terror. The president goes on, let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. <laughs> like the official one, maybe? That's an editorial aside. Malicious lies that attempt to shift the blame away from the terrorists themselves. Away from the guilty. Yeah, if the shoe fits, Mr. President, you need to be hoisted on your own petard. Now, my final point is, where are we? We're making progress. I did a couple dozen of these radio interview talk shows after my June 9th piece came out and jumped the normal channels I swim in, and UPI picked it up in the Washington Times and such. Well, what I found out was that out in America, beneath where the mainstream swims, is a lot of knowledge. A lot of Americans suspect the government. I would say, venture to say, a majority. And probably one in five knows the government did it, as most of you gathered here do. Okay, so as Peter Dale Scott said earlier, too, the Vietnam War protests started small but became very big and ended up winning the day. So I think our start is much bigger than it was 40 years ago. So where do I end? Am I discouraged? Not at all. Not at all. This thing is growing. And I want to end by quoting Martin Luther again. And I don't happen to be a man of religion, but find that when you're talking about the devil, it's best to consult uh, experts. In 1521... Martin Luther said, hey, this has to do with optimism and pessimism, quote, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Thank you. listening to speakers at the D.C. Truth Convergence Defeat Lethal Deceit Rally in Lafayette Park on July 23, 2005. 
The DC Emergency Truth Convergence was a three-day event that included a press conference at the National Press Club, a rally in Lafayette Park, workshops at American University, and a strategy summit. Organizers of the convergence included David Kubiak of 9-11 Truth, Janice Matthews and Jan Hoyer of the 9-11 Visibility Project and 9-11 Truth, Gabriel Day of 9-11 Share the Truth, Charles Key, former Oklahoma State Representative and Chair of the Oklahoma City Bombing Investigation Committee, and activist Dave Schlesinger. Visit www.911truthemergency.us for more information. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Yara Mako and me, Bonnie Faulkner. To leave comments or order copies of shows, call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. Release. You dig me?